Welcome into Outkick the Show. I'm your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having fantastic Wednesdays, wherever you may be across this great country or this great land. We got a bunch to discuss. Uh, encourage you, as always, go subscribe on YouTube uh, to Outkick. You'll get this show daily streamed there. And I believe the comments are now going to be all turned on so you can react in real time. Uh, comments are very entertaining. We appreciate all of you subscribing at YouTube. Uh, as always, you can watch on Twitter. I believe we're up on Facebook. No telling how many different places you're going to be able to consume this. And if you are listening to the audio because you are not watching the video, we also love all of you. All right. Uh, Tom Brady early this morning announced his retirement in a video that he posted from what appeared to be a Florida beach location. Brady is, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the greatest quarterback to ever play uh, the game of football. And look, I was a longtime Peyton Manning guy. I would have loved to make the argument that Peyton Manning is the greatest ever. I can't do it anymore. Brady went to 10 Super Bowls. He won seven, played for two different teams. I thought this stat really epitomized the longevity and incredible level of accomplishment of Tom Brady. Uh, Tom Brady, in his 20s, had 147 passing touchdowns, three Super Bowl wins. In his 30s, 40,000 passing yards, 300 touchdowns, two Super Bowl wins. And in his 40s, 27,000 passing yards, 193 passing touchdowns, two Super Bowl wins. Uh, Putting that into context, Tom Brady was more productive in terms of passing yards and touchdowns in his 40s than he was in his 20s. But really what the takeaway is here, and I saw Phil Yates tweet this out, uh, and and I've said it before, but I think it's important to, to, to reference. Tom Brady is a Hall of Famer if you just take away Uh, his performance when he was in his 20s. He's a Hall of Famer if you just take away his performance in his 30s. He's a Hall of Famer if you just take away his performance in his 40s. In other words, Tom Brady was a Hall of Famer in three different decades of his life if you just take those decades standing alone. He won multiple Super Bowls in his 20s, multiple Super Bowls in his 30s, and multiple Super Bowls in his 40s. I don't know that we're ever going to see anyone in any of our lives with the longevity and the career excellence, 10 Super Bowls overall, winning seven of them as Tom Brady. And he did it in arguably the most uh, destructive to your body sport in America. One where if you even play until you're 40, it's virtually unheard of. And, you know, I know that there are people who have made their entire livings as sports commentators arguing LeBron versus Jordan, and you know who those people are. I actually think now that Brady has retired, the more interesting question is, who's the best team sport athlete ever? Uh, And to me, and sometimes you say ever because, like, I mean, you can go back to Babe Ruth, really modern era, right? Like, in the last 40 years, who's the best team sport athlete Uh, I think it's Jordan or I think it's Brady. And I asked that question on Twitter and I want to get you guys uh, uh, numbers here. So I'm going to jump in and go check out what the poll result was. Uh, But to me, what stands out is these numbers are are pretty uh, impressive. 
anytime you put up a poll question and the numbers end up close to 50-50, it's a really fascinating debate. So over 40,000 of you have voted. uh, And 56% of you said Michael Jordan. Obviously, a lot of other people sharing a variety of different opinions. I just retweeted that if you're on YouTube or you're on Twitter and you want to go vote yourself. But over 40,000 people have voted. Uh, Jordan got 56% of the vote. Tom Brady, 44% of the vote. I actually think that's a fun debate now. Uh, Jordan is certainly a better athlete uh, because the quarterback doesn't have to be an incredible athlete. It's like Nolan Ryan. you got a great arm. You can pitch for a long time. It's still impressive to be able to last that long with everybody trying to knock your head off. Uh, as was certainly the case for Tom Brady every time he dropped back to pass for all of those years in his 20s, 30s, and 40s. Um, But I'm surprised. Uh, So I think Jordan versus uh, Brady is an interesting argument. Uh, Brady had longevity. Jordan had a peak of dominance, the likes of which I've never seen from any athlete before. Sorry, Houston Rocket fans. I think Jordan would have won eight straight championships uh, if he had played in the two years, basically, that he set out. I know he came back for the playoffs in one of those years, uh, but he wasn't uh, the fully rounded uh, Michael Jordan that he would become. So to me, I'm surprised that Brady decided to retire. Primarily because it felt like with, and you guys may have heard me talking about this, when he got divorced, I felt like Brady was basically not going to be willing to enter this new part of his life without football and while being single. I probably am wrong about that, uh, evidently. Uh, But maybe Brady is retiring because he's going to go try to get Giselle back. I don't know. Uh, I know that a lot of people are are sharing their theories. She commented on Instagram uh, on his uh, retirement announcement. Maybe this is Brady sitting back and saying, hey, I made the choice that I wanted to continue to play football. He left for 11 days during training camp. Maybe that upset Giselle. And maybe as the season has progressed, he's realized that basically he's accomplished everything he could in football. You know, the idea of riding off into the sunset with a victory like John Elway did, like like, uh, Peyton Manning did, is attractive. Maybe in retrospect, Brady would have liked to have done that after the win down in Tampa Bay. Certainly, the Bucs were very good last year. They were not very good this year. But I thought Brady would go play. And we broke down the chances. I thought he had a good chance to be in San Francisco, in Oakland, in, uh, in, uh, in, in the Dolphins, in Miami. Evidently, he made that decision that it didn't make sense. And maybe a big part of that is... He wants to go after Giselle. Maybe he didn't want to get divorced. Maybe he thinks he made a poor life choice to come back in the first place and thinks that he wants to bring his family back together again. I don't know. He and Giselle were married for 13 years. I'm not an expert on anything uh, relationship-wise. You could ask ask my wife for sure. Uh, But I've been married on 18 years, going on 19 years. Uh, And maybe Brady, after 13 years of being married, ultimately realized that Uh, as much of his happiness was not deriving from football as he had thought that it was. And and maybe it took playing an extra year of football for him to come to the conclusion that he had done enough. Now, of course, the question is, what's his plan going forward? He's got a big deal with Fox. Uh, He could potentially be involved in calling games, in studio work, in a variety of different things with Fox as it pertains to the NFL. Uh, but he's going to have to make that decision 
uh, about what makes the most sense to him going forward. Regardless, greatest quarterback of all time. Unless it's somebody that we don't know right now, I guess Patrick Mahomes could make a run at Tom Brady's level of, uh, of dominance. He's in his third Super Bowl. Seven more Super Bowl appearances to stay healthy, to continue to perform at an incredibly elite level. Can Mahomes do that? Uh, particularly given the rise of uh, Joe Burrow and Josh Allen and how competitive the overall AFC is from a quarterback perspective. We'll see. I'm voting right now that I don't think we'll ever see another person perform anywhere near the level uh, that Tom Brady has as uh, a quarterback for the past 20-some-odd years. Uh, Okay, a couple of other things. Uh, We've got the early... Uh, decisions being made by NFL coaches. Sean Payton to Denver for a reported $85 million. Congratulations to Sean Payton. Denver giving up more picks because they are desperate to get Sean Payton in. This was my prediction. I did get this one right. I thought Sean Payton would go to Denver. uh, And I thought he would go to Denver ultimately because Russell Wilson has performed at a Hall of Fame level. Russell Wilson, if you want to look at his build, has some similarities with Drew Brees, a little bit undersized, uh, and yet has been able to achieve at a very high level. So I think Sean Payton has to examine the quarterback position and think, who can I get the most out of? And given that Russell Wilson has at times, most of his career in fact, performed at a Hall of Fame caliber quarterback level, this year was a disaster. There's no other way to describe it. Um, And so, to me, if you're Sean Payton and you believe you can get Russell Wilson back to performing at a high level, Denver was the best available job out there. Um, And so, the Broncos and their new ownership group paying a substantial amount of money to Sean Payton with one goal basically in mind, fix Russell Wilson. Because as much as the Broncos are investing in... Sean Payton, really, to me, this is about having to get Russell Wilson fixed because they've got over $200 million invested in him. If you're paying a quarterback that kind of money and he doesn't perform at an elite level, then there's no way that your team can win. You look at that AFC West, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, we'll see what the Oakland Raiders end up doing. Sorry, the Vegas Raiders uh, end up doing at the quarterback position given that Derek Carr seems to be leaving. But to me, this is an investment furthermore in Russell Wilson. I think it makes a lot of sense if you believe, as I do, that it is possible that he can be uh, sort of risen back to his level of excellence. If you believe that that is going to happen, should happen, will happen, if you're Sean Payton, this is a good move. Uh, D'Amico Ryan's headed to the Texans, uh, former NFL linebacker with the Texans. Uh, D'Amico Ryans has been with San Francisco 49ers last six years, most recently as their defensive coordinator. Uh, This feels like a good hire for the Texans. But as I was just telling you about Sean Payton, really as important as the head coaching hire is, who's their next quarterback is the most important. If you don't think Davis Mills is the answer, and I don't, then you're going to have to invest with that number two overall pick either trade up to the Bears and get the number one overall pick, thank you, Lovey Smith, as a good buy, uh, or, or you're going to have to say, we'll take either C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young. I think Bryce Young is going to be the first quarterback taken. 
Hey, Clay Travis here. We'll be right back. But first, here's a word. I believe Bryce Young is the best quarterback in this draft. Now, I'm far from an excellent uh, prognosticator on quarterbacks. I'm not claiming to be an expert by any stretch of the imagination. But what I saw from Bryce Young was the ability to make throws under duress the likes of which I didn't see from anybody else. Um, And given that you don't have a lot of clean pockets in the NFL, I think that Bryce Young is going to perform at a really high level. My concern about Bryce Young is that he's not uh, necessarily that durable. He's not a big guy. He doesn't have a big frame. He obviously had injury issues at Alabama to the extent that I am nervous about how he's going to perform in the NFL. It's all about does he have the ability to stand up to the beatings that NFL quarterbacks take. Uh, That's my concern. But in terms of performance, I don't think there's any doubt. Uh, I am super apprehensive and nervous about Will Levis. I don't see him performing at a high level. I understand somebody's going to take him in the top 10. Maybe he's going to turn into Josh Allen. I just watched him play a lot of games at Kentucky. And never did I think, oh, this is a guy who sees the field well. This is a guy who makes great decisions. I understand Mel Kuyper's got him number one overall. To me, the reason I'm bringing this up with the Texans is as important as the head coach is, D'Amico Ryans, hopefully uh, that's a good hire for them because they've had a, a long series of failures in Houston. What they do at the quarterback position with the draft pick is more important. So that will be the first test of Ryans and whether he's going to have a good job or a bad job. It's all about the quality of your quarterback. I mean, look at what's happened to Bill Belichick. Remember, the great debate out there about Belichick was who's more responsible for the Patriots dynasty, Belichick or Brady? There were a lot of people who would have said Belichick. There's almost no one who would say Belichick now. Brady leaving and going to Tampa Bay, winning a Super Bowl, going to three straight playoffs, ended that debate forever. Belichick rode on the coattails of Brady, not vice versa. In fact, as good of a coach as Bill Belichick is, without Tom Brady, Bill Belichick has been a sub-500 coach in the NFL. Now, I think he certainly elevated Brady and helped Brady to win at a high level. But when you win three straight division championships uh, and uh, or, or three straight playoffs and win a Super Bowl, I guess they came in second place, right, in the NFC South in Brady's first year. They went on the road and won uh, in, uh, in New Orleans. Sorry, Saints fans, because uh, they lost that division. Uh, but to me, this is the question going forward for the Texans. Who's your pick? Who's going to be available? What do the Bears do? Bryce Young has to be the pick to me. Uh, Today, it used to be a huge day. Used to be the signing day in February was massively important. I don't want to go all old man on you guys, but I remember waking up on signing day and aggressively trying to get news all day long. Who's signing? uh, What guys are committing? Watching the announcements? All that stuff. Now we have an early signing period and so many top players sign early in December now that a lot of times we forget uh, about the fact that signing day is even going on uh, when we get to February now. But I'm telling you, all you kids out there, this used to be a monster day for recruiting. So here is the composite recruiting class rankings 
uh, powered by 24-7 sports. So instead of using on three, instead of using rivals, instead of using uh, uh, ESPN, which by the way is awful at recruiting class rankings, um, I like to go and look at the composite ranking so you can't argue that somebody's biased one way or the other. This is factoring in all of the recruiting class rankings. Number one recruiting class in the nation, the Alabama Crimson Tide. Rinse and repeat. Number two recruiting class in the nation. Drum roll, Georgia Bulldogs. Kirby Smart has recruited consistently at an incredibly high level. Alabama Crimson Tide one, Georgia Bulldogs two. Credit to the Texas Longhorns. Steve Sarkeesian hasn't won necessarily at a high level on the field yet, but he's got the number three composite recruiting class in the nation. This one I think may surprise people uh, because there wasn't a very good result on the field, but Brent Venables has brought in the number four overall recruiting class in the nation. Ohio State uh, uh, at Oklahoma. Ohio State slides in at five. LSU, Brian Kelly at six. Miami, the U climbing the recruiting class ranking board. Oregon has done very well under Dan Lanning. The best class in the Pac-12 coming in at eight. Tennessee, uh, Volunteers uh, in the nine spot. And then in the 10 spot, you have Notre Dame. Again, this is as we speak, right around 3.30 Eastern on signing day. Most every recruit is in now. The transfer portal is closed. Uh, So most rosters are set, at least for now, in terms of what they'll look like in the 2023 season. So that is the top 10. Rapidly again, Alabama, Georgia, Texas, Oklahoma, Ohio State, LSU, Miami, Oregon, Tennessee, and Notre Dame. Uh, Why does top 10 recruiting classes matter? Historically, you have to have at least three top 10 recruiting class rankings in the four years before you win a national championship. I'll plug this data in, but as we have seen in a playoff era, recruiting class rankings, and I try not to focus on individual four or five stars because you don't know whether those players are going to pan out or not, but you basically have to have at least three top 10 recruiting classes in the four years beforehand uh, in order to win a championship. I will say this, the transfer portal could alter that some because recruiting doesn't matter as much as it used to because so many players enter into the transfer portal now that you can flip rosters quicker and make them better than you used to be able to do. Uh, But historically, three out of four top 10 classes in the four years beforehand. Now, uh, if you're curious about the rest of the recruiting rankings, Clemson is in the 11 spot, USC, Penn State, Florida, uh, Texas A&M, South Carolina, Auburn, Michigan, TCU, and Florida State represent the rest of the top 20 uh, in this recruiting class ranking. All right, top 25. Utah, Arkansas, Michigan State, and Nebraska and Mississippi State round out that top 25 recruiting class rankings overall. Um, So recruiting class basically locked in. That's the latest there. Um, Biden 
Uh, Joe Biden's beach house has been searched nearly three months after they initially uncovered classified documents in Joe Biden's office uh, in Washington, D.C., the Penn Biden office. They then searched his Wilmington, Delaware home, found classified documents. They finally got around, the FBI did, to searching uh, Joe Biden's beach house in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. And uh, there are reports that they found no classified documents there, but it took three months in order for that search to take place. You might be thinking to yourself, boy, it seems like a long time. I agree. If there were any classified documents there, theoretically, the Bidens had plenty of time to get rid of them. Maybe there just aren't very many papers there. Maybe there were never any classified documents there. The FBI did not find any more. I would uh, say probably makes sense to search Joe Biden's papers that he sent to the University of Delaware if you really care about classified documents. But it's amazing how classified documents, that story overall, has essentially vanished as soon as all the documents showed up with Joe Biden. Uh, I've seen a lot of articles, including one that said, oh, you know, there's 50 million classified documents out there. There's way too many uh, classified documents out in our government right now. We need far less of them. It's funny. I don't remember seeing any of those uh, arguments when Donald Trump uh, was dealing with his classified document scandal at Mar-a-Lago. In fact, it was a direct threat to our democracy, the classified documents that Donald Trump had. But now Joe Biden has his own classified document scandal. Mike Pence has classified document issues. And everybody's like, well, you know, in the grand scheme of things, classified documents really don't matter that much. Uh, Again, I told you that I think from a political perspective, not from a legal perspective, but from a political perspective, the classified document inquiry is officially, in my opinion, over. Uh, Finally, Donald Trump has been attacking Ron DeSantis like crazy. Uh, The most recent on Truth Social this morning, we were talking about it. Uh, Trump said, the real Ron is a rhino globalist who closed quickly down Florida and even its beaches, loved the vaccines, and wasted big money on testing how quickly people forget. Now, look, there are a lot of opportunities, a lot of opportunities out there for Trump to go after DeSantis. I think we're going to have a heavyweight battle all throughout 2023, running into 2024, they are going to be going after each other in earnest. I think the worst possible way that Trump can attack DeSantis is over COVID, right? Because DeSantis, as the governor of Florida, did a phenomenal job with COVID. And I know because I spent the COVID era in Nashville, uh, my hometown here in Tennessee, and also down in Florida. In fact, I spent a whole month of May in Florida and everything opened up. All the restaurants were open. We spent a lot of time on the beaches, all the putt-putt golf places, hotel rooms, all of it was up and running by May of 2020. In fact, if you were in Florida in May of 2020, it felt totally normal. It felt totally normal as well in my home state of Tennessee, by and large, by May of 2020. But no state that I'm aware of that had a large population got back to normal faster than Florida did. 
Ron DeSantis brought back freedom. He opened up every school, refused public schools to be be closed. In fact, we weren't sure exactly what was going to happen in my home state of Tennessee, and we were potentially going to enroll our kids in public school in Florida because we just didn't know if schools were going to be open yet. Ron DeSantis came on my radio show in the spring and summer of 2020, said not only are we going to open every school, we're going to play every sport. And they played every sport in Florida. Not just high school football. Certainly DeSantis was helpful and instrumental in making sure that college football played. Uh, But DeSantis refused to allow masks. He played every single sport in the state of Florida in the fall of 2020. Uh, Many states shut down and did not allow their kids to participate in high school athletics, which was 100% wrong. Many states and cities required masks. Many states and cities uh, didn't allow their kids to even be present in school. I think that's a bad move by Trump. I think he's fighting a rear guard action and he's going to lose this battle. Plus, and I want to emphasize this again, people have voted with their feet by moving to Florida because of Ron DeSantis' leadership. Uh, I saw this data today. In December of 2018, uh, Democrats had uh, a a 250,000 vote majority in voter registration. There were 257,000 more Democrats in 2018 than Republicans. Based on numbers that just came out in January of 2023, that is this past month, The Republicans now have a 394,000 majority. So in the space of Ron DeSantis' time in office, Democrats have gone from a 257,000 registered voters advantage to Republicans having nearly a 400,000 advantage. That is a 650,000 voter swing in the space of Ron DeSantis' first term in office. It's pretty incredible, okay? So if Trump wants to battle Ron DeSantis, I think going after him on COVID or the COVID shot or any of that is absolutely crazy. Trump's best argument, in my opinion, is I've already been president. I know exactly how to do the job. Ron DeSantis is doing a phenomenal job in Florida, but he's young. Let him get more time on the ground in Florida, and I will be president for four years. And then DeSantis can win in 28, and he can be president for two terms, and you'll get 12 years of Florida Republicans. That's his argument. Not trying to say that DeSantis has done a poor job as governor. Lots of people made bad decisions, including Trump, in March and April of 2020. My question is, who was making the right decisions by May of 2020? To me, Ron DeSantis, a lot of other Republican governors made a lot of good choices starting in May of 2020. Can't attack him on that. If you want to say, hey, you get four years of me, eight years of him, hey, Florida, he needs to serve out his term before he decides to do something else, I can see that argument. But I think attacking DeSantis on the COVID shot or on the COVID, uh, uh, COVID requirements, COVID regulations. I think that's a big loser for Trump. Appreciate all of you. DBAP, unless you need to SBAP. I am Clay Travis. This has been Outkick. 
show. 